Good morning. I'm going to bring this stool up here. I don't know if I'll get chained to it. I don't think I will. I want to talk to you today. How's everyone doing? Good to see you. Do you remember the last words of Jesus in his public ministry on earth found in Holy Scripture? What are the last spoken words of Jesus? They're not found in the Gospels. They're found in the book of Acts. Acts 1, verse 8, just prior to the ascension of Christ. And he said to us, the church of all ages, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a remarkable way to end one's ministry, right? Think about it, this great promise that we'll be filled with the Spirit, this amazing call that we're going to reach the ends of the earth, and it's surely a resonance, uh, almost a restatement of that messianic prophecy to Jesus in Isaiah 49.6 when he says, you'll be my light to the nations and bring my salvation to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49.6, which now is given to us, the people of God who walk with Jesus, the body of Christ in the world. Well, that, that amazing Acts 1-8 passage, is the, right, so the final Great Commission, is actually kind of a, uh, a plan that Acts used, Luke uses in Acts, to kind of give us the, the, the framework of the book of Acts. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It becomes a framework for at least the major portion of the early portion of Acts, uh, the epistle, the, the book of Acts. And so when you think about Jesus saying Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and our text is landing there with this entrance into Samaria and the ends of the earth, we may think of this in terms of what I might call the, um, I don't know, the 24,901 mile mandate. You know what that means? If you actually take the earth's circumference at its largest point and go around the world at its circumference, 24,901 miles. So you might think, and I think most people, I don't know how you hear the phrase Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, but you probably think of it in terms of that this is a geographic expansion and the church is going to start out you know, in Jerusalem and we're going to eventually travel around 24,901 miles around the world, you know, symbolically speaking, around to the ends of the earth. And of course, it's never less than that. But there's a lot more going on than that because it's actually about an ethnic progression that's very, very powerful, which brings the gospel from Jewish peoples looking at Jesus Christ, the Messiah, filling Jewish hopes, Jewish expectations, to one that comes to Samaritans, a different group, and then eventually the ends of the earth, the Gentiles of the world who see Christ as the, the kurios, the Lord for all nations. As that great hymn, you know, come desire of all nations. That's, that's really what's happening here in this uh, kind of way Acts unfolds this. And so we are at this remarkable transition uh, part of Acts from Acts 8, 1 to Acts 11, 23, where he brings us from the Samaria to the ends of the earth portion of this. And you can almost feel, can't you, Luke's energy here? I mean, he's just like so excited to get us to that point when the gospel in Acts 11.23 is preached to Gentiles straight out. 
But it, there's a lot that has to happen in Acts. Get us there. We've got to get, you know, Philip is going to go to Samaria. We have the Ethiopian eunuch, a God-fear, another person kind of in that interim period. Then you eventually got to get uh, to Cornelius' household. Oh, yeah, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9. All that has to happen, and there's a lot of energy and anticipation in Acts to get us to that point. And we are landing at this point where we have Simon, or I'm sorry, Philip going down into Samaria where he encounters Simon the sorcerer. Now, the text begins uh, in Acts 8, 1b. Thank you, B. <laughs> On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, this sermon actually has three points. Amazing, huh? A three-point sermon. Um, the, what I call first the diaspora 2.0. Okay, there's going to be a scattering I want to talk about here. Now, when I have preached this sermon before, you know, Acts 1.8 says, as I said, Jerusalem is the into the earth, and, it, and we have this persecution breaking out, and there, it is the persecution which pushes the church out into Samaria. And we're told in the text that the apostles remain in Jerusalem. Now, in most of my ministry, if I can be confessional here, I have taken this as an opportunity to chide the apostles. You know, Jesus told them, stay in the city to be clothed with power from on high. So they stayed in the city. They got clothed with power from on high in Pentecost, and then they still stayed in the city. And so I used to use this to chide the apostles, but I want to publicly repent of that. Okay, I am sorry, because I don't see it that way anymore. I really see the apostles strategically staying in Jerusalem. In fact, it's hard to stay in Jerusalem. This is where the persecution is. They are, it's a huge sacrifice for them to stay in Jerusalem. But think of it from their perspective. There's two reasons why they stay there that's, that's strategic, not just their weak-willedness. First of all, think of what they've experienced. They are experiencing dramatic people coming to Christ, Jewish people coming to Christ. You have Acts 2, where 3,000 come forward. You have Acts 4, where 2,000 more come forward. There's 5,000 believers coming to church. And then if you think about it, Later on in Acts 4, the verse we don't really quote very much, in Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 6, verse 7, where he says, and a great number of priests were coming to the Lord. So from their, their perspective, they're saying, we're seeing a huge ingathering of Israel, and they, could you help them for not expecting that Isaiah 60, verse 3, will be fulfilled for their very eyes? The nations will come to your light, the kings, the brightness of your rising. This is one of our Advent texts, Right? So they're expecting, potentially, that, the, yes, of course the nation, this is about the nations of the world, the ends of the earth, but they're going to come to us and see the glory of God here. That's certainly one, it's a long time before it really dawns on the, the Jewish people that the Jews are not going to turn in mass to Christ. Though it, by the way, it will happen, Romans eleven twenty six, 26. Pas Israel so tezatai, all Israel shall be saved, that great text from Paul, it's yet in our future. So when it comes to this thing, another point of that is that when he comes to the scattering, he says here, and listen carefully, there, the apostles in Jerusalem, but he particularly uses in verse 1 and in verse 4 the word scattered. The word there in the Greek is diaspero. What does that sound like in English? Diaspora. It's a very important word used here. He's saying that there is a new diaspora. That's why I'm calling this Diaspora 
The first diaspora is the, you know, the Jews diaspora because of the Babylonian and, and Assyrian exiles. They're scattered all over the world. And the Jews seeded so much of God's knowledge on the world because of that. But now they realize that we're not at the end of the ages as we thought. I mean, we are, but not at the end of the end. We, there's unfinished business for the church, the people of God. The very fact that the church is now being scattered by persecution, they are reenacting a new kind of exile, aren't we? We're now being scattered in the world, and we have a lot of work to do, a lot of unfinished business. So we're seeing acts prepare. I mean, I don't know they must possibly imagine 2,000 years, but they're, they're definitely seeing this, and they have a lot of work to do. I just returned from, uh, from Brazil, and let me tell you, I, um, I really had a great time in Brazil. I mean, I was busy as a bee uh, traveling all over Brazil, but I, I, you know, I feel like I was down there with Bishop Lopes, uh, one of our trustees. We were down there helping to train church planters in his sixth district, and he was determined to have me meet all of his church planters. I mean, this part of Brazil that he oversees is 1,000 miles long and 400 miles wide. It's a lot of territory, and he, uh, he's a, just a remarkable leader. And I, I felt like when I went down there, you know, a few, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, I told you in the community here, I said, you know, I, I told our students especially, you need to rediscover your own gospel. You need to, uh, you know, the thing that you thought was Christianity, maybe it's not what you thought, and you need to <clears throat> really wake up and receive it in your own life. I didn't realize I was preaching to myself. <clears throat> you know, I got down there, and as I walked around and met all these pastors and saw what God was doing through them, I said to myself, you know, I've been looking, I've been seeing the gospel in black and white. And I'm down here, I'm seeing it in color. I was like, wow. I just felt the gospel <clears throat> renewed in my own heart in so many ways. It was just so great. And Bishop Lopes, <clears throat> in some ways, is doing what the apostles did. He stays in Curitiba. Uh, Curitiba is where he's based. <clears throat> and he's overseeing all these, what they call designated missionaries, church planters going out and doing amazing church planting work in, in Brazil, reenacting what we find here, seeing people come to Christ, thank you, uh, and seeing people also uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. A time of year, you know, we <clears throat> cough our way through the season. Okay, so the new diaspora, diaspora 2.0, now power encounter 2.0. They go down there, and you have this amazing encounter between uh, Philip and, of course, this Simon the Sorcerer. Now, Philip, it's really important. Who was Philip? Now, Philip, and this is so important, is not one of the apostles, the 12 apostles. Now, there is a theology out there. It's not part of our tradition, of course, but it's a, a major theology out there that is sometimes called cessationism. You know what cessationism is? It means that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased with the apostles. He gave them the apostles to do miracles and people were being raised from the dead and a blind scene. But once the church got launched and the apostles died off, so did the miracles. This is not a small group of people who believe this. This text should help to dispel that. Because what we have is when in Acts 6, when they had the dispute about the, the Grecian, another, another dispute, ironically, another disruption 
We have the dispute between the Christian Jews and the Aramaic Jews, and they appoint the first deacons. You see the raising of a new form of leadership. So seven people were, were chosen. These are names we don't know. Stephen, Philip, we probably know them best, but Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permeneus, Nicholas from Antioch. This is another generation of leadership. So Stephen is going out being martyred, following the way of Christ. And then when Philip, the other one, comes down, to, now he comes to Samaria, J Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Listen to what it says about him. He goes down. When the crowds heard Philip, they saw the miraculous signs he did. Verse 6. Paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Now Luke purposely uses the exact language, like language phrases for how he talked about Jesus' ministry, the, the evil spirits coming out, the shrieking, the, uh, the healing of paralytics, etc., with what Philip does. Philip is doing the ministry of Jesus in the world, and Philip is not one of the apostles. This is the miracles of Christ going on. Now, Jesus had promised us, by the way, we all know this text, but in John 14, 12, greater works than these shall you do when I go to the Father. Now, I don't know what you hear when you hear that, but many people hear that to say, well, Jesus did you know, this, and we're going to do that. You know, like, like Jesus is like greater in power. You know, like Jesus healed the blind. My goodness, we're going to like find someone with a decapitated head and put it back on. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus healed the blind, but man, you know, that guy was, de was decapitated. We put his head back on. Greater things than these shall you do. I go to the Father. It's not greater in power. It's greater in scope. The point is, if Jesus is in Bethlehem, he can't be in Bethsaida. If Jesus is in, you know, Jerusalem, he can't be over in the Decapolis. So when he says, when I go to the Father, he means when the Spirit comes, the Spirit comes upon his people, and therefore the Spirit, as they are scattered out into the world, Philip is down in Samaria doing the works of Jesus. The apostles are back in Jerusalem doing the works of Jesus. We'll find later on Acts eleven twenty six 26, the people from Cyprus and Cyrene are in Antioch doing the works of Jesus. This is universalizing the works of Jesus ultimately around the world, even here in Wilmore. We are, we are manifesting the works of Jesus in the world. It is not intended to die out. It's intended to multiply. Now, I, to be fair, I spent a number of years sojourning with people who were cessationists. I had many, many conversations with them. And I found out to my, uh, you know, delight, I guess, that there are various versions of cessationism. There are the total cessationists. Uh, this would be like, if you know church history, B.B. Warfield, Gretchen Machem, like, you know, no miracles will ever happen again. Ooh. <laughs> then, you, then you have the, uh, and I love both those men, by the way, but just, not on that. But then you have these amazing other people that, uh, I don't mention names, people that you know in the popular Christian world that say, you know, God might, I mean, God has the privilege and power to heal a person in a cancer ward that has cancer. They believe that could happen. And we should pray for that to happen even. But the idea of someone with a ministry in the church would go and lay hands on someone and say, we're praying to be healed. All that, they say, is, is not allowed. Okay. There are, granted, many versions of cessationism. So I'm not here to, you know, denounce all of them one by one. But the point is, all of them are some variation of, 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 of wrong. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
don't know, that came across kind of blunt. But. <laughs> They're all a variation of error, some more or less than others. The point is, the ministry of Jesus is to not only continue, but be multiplied in the world. That's what this text is teaching us. So this is Power Encounter 2.0, and it's not just here. Uh, you have Bar-Jesus in Acts 13. You have the, the woman with the slaves, uh, the slave woman with the demons in Acts 16. The seven scones of Sceva in Acts 19. This goes on and on and on. And, of course, this encounter with Simon the sorcerer. But just so you also hear me, I am not saying, I, I want to say straight out, I believe that any miracle that Jesus performed could and should be manifest in the church today. All right, including raising the dead. Those, I, I want to have the field open for what God might do. But, hear me, it is not that which authenticates our work in the world. All right, that's part of this text too. And this is what I want to, I, I really appreciate the, the insight of this that I read uh, on this point when I was reading uh, uh, Craig Keener's Come to an Acts. He makes the point, a great point, that there's a parallel going on here between Simon, uh, the, the sorcerer, and Philip. Simon works wonders. Philip works wonders. Simon, the sorcerer, draws crowds. Philip draws crowds. Simon uh, is called this great power. Philip manifests the power of God. Simon amazes people. Philip amazes people. You see, if it's just about signs and wonders, Simon the magician was already there. So the question is, what is the difference? It is not simply signs and wonders, it's what is behind the whole thing. The force of it all is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Simon the sorcerer was proclaiming himself. He was projecting as a horizontal vision. He was projecting his greatness in the world. And Satan will do that. But this is about the kingdom of God being proclaimed. That's what authenticates the work of God. That God's rule and God's reign is breaking in. And God can do that in signs and wonders. Now, I also just got back a month ago from my wife and I, from being with our daughter Bethany in Tanzania. Now, Bethany is working in an unreachable group called the Alagua. And... No, no crowds are coming to hear her. No one's amazed at her, you know, word. There are no demons rushing out. When the gospel is, <laughs> yeah, there are plenty of demons not rushing out to make room for the Spirit. There are demons everywhere. Uh, there's no one repenting and asking to be changed. When the gospel's preached, people say no. And the point is, of course, is that God's authenticated there too in the, in the faithfulness of bearing witness that you don't see. You know, one thing happened, sorry, you know, my daughter, my daughter, <laughs> fathers and daughters. When we were there, there's two people that are very, very close to coming to Christ. You know, one's a, a leader, a major leader in the community. She's been there almost nine years working with these people. And there's a leader, Baba uh, Halima, another young man named Ashaka, very, very close. And right after we left, there was a meeting on Thursday when they were coming together. This was just a few weeks ago. And they were gonna, this was the time when she really believed they were going to 
make that, cross that line. And so they, this has been long planning, and they'd gone through hundreds of conversations, of course, to get to this point, and she made an appointment to meet him on Thursday. So they arrived there on that Thursday, and they, they got, came to her place, and she just had started their conversation when this man, that normally never comes around, burst into the room, and he has to shout and curse and denounce her and curse at her, and I know why you're here. You're here to make these people Christians, and we want them out, of, we want her out of here, and just all this disruption, and God ran him out and pushed him out of the house, and the whole thing was over with. He goes off. So Bethany, our time here, Bethany calls on the phone the next Sunday. She, we can't call her because it's too remote, but she can call us when she gets to the top of a mountain. We have a cell signal. And so she called her on the mountain next Sunday. She called us, and she told us this story. And so Julie said, what are you going to do? What's the next step? And my point is that this, this is the kingdom of God coming out of her mouth. This is also authenticated ministry. There's no signs and wonder, nothing, no, no magic happening, no godly magic, you might say, godly uh, work that you can see with the eyes. But she said, well... I'm going to go tomorrow and spend the day working in his field, helping him plant. Right before the rainy season there, they're planting. And in that culture, there's only one love language in that whole culture, and that's to work in someone's field. If you go and work in their field, it means I love you. And so she went and today working in his field. Now that is the kingdom going forth. Because I don't care how much you resist the gospel, there's one thing you cannot resist. It's love. So, some of the sorcerers also there to remind us that what it's not about and to what the main thing is, though God does do signs and wonders, it's about the extension of the rule and reign of God. Third is blessings 2.0. Now, the apostles in Jerusalem heard about this. Samaritans have received the gospel. They've got baptized. Now, what does it say? They received, this is in verse 14, the apostles in Jerusalem had, had accepted the God, word of God. Word came to Peter and John, and they sent them around, back down to them, down to Samaria, everything's down from Jerusalem, up, you might say. When they arrived, they prayed for them might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now here's another really important part of our theology that I want to just say again. This is a second work of grace. You have, they have been already been baptized in water, but you have a laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. These are two separate works of God, and they're served by time and space, and also planning now, we've already seen, or we've seen at least two of the times, where the Holy Spirit comes on spontaneously at the same time when no one did anything. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. We see this several times in Acts. We see in Acts 2, later on in Acts verse 8, in Acts 10, no human instrumentality, uh, no one, there's no gap in time. They, people come to the Lord and get, back, get filled with the Holy Spirit, or Cornelius says, you know, they, get, they speak in tongues, okay, I guess we'll baptize them. You know, it, there's no formulaic thing here. God does all kinds of things that surprise us. But one of the things that does happen is there's a gap often, and you have 
what ends, ends up being liturgical forms, what become liturgical forms. Putting them in water and baptizing them is a form. It says something about God's work of grace. Laying hands on someone to receive the Holy Spirit is another form. This is part of the, the way the gospel would unfold. The church has lost that. Well, we lost half of it. We have the baptism of water. We still retain that, right? But we don't really have a proper liturgy of laying hands on to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. Now, think about it. Philip calls them up. Hey, Peter, John, I believe it. Samaria, Samaritans have, have received the word. John's like, hey, wait a minute. Peter, you're not going to believe this. Samaritans read the word, you know. How many people? 62 people. Wow, 62 people. Well, uh, what'd you do? We, we baptized in the water. Okay. Uh, okay, we'll, yep, yep. We'll come down. We'll come down and pray for them to see the Holy Spirit. We want to have that absolute connection, you know. Uh, hey, Peter, uh, when are you free to go up to Samaria? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we have that appointment. Yeah, that's right. We're really tight this next week. Uh, it's a three-day journey. Okay, well, how about uh, first to next month? Okay, fine. We'll see you then, all right? <laughs> Something like that happened. All right, so the point is there's time. There's time involved. There's planning. Okay, we're going to go down there and lay hands on them. This is not, we have not seen this yet in Acts. All right, again, it doesn't have to always happen this way, but it can. You know, I mean, even a Billy Graham crusade, somebody had to plan it, right? And then God does things. So there's planning involved. They go down there, they lay hands on them, and they see the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Now, I want to close with this, you know, part of this point, third point, is this, we need to resolve in our, and I've been a little critical this morning of some parts of the Christian tradition, the cessationism and all of that, people who don't want to see the second work of grace. But let me be critical of us a bit here now. Our, one of our problems is we've never resolved in our mind and heart what I would call, and what is called, the kind of crisis event and the process, planned process. So we have a little kind of thing in our head, I think in our tradition, this, I think the dominant word in our head, if you have a problem, if there's an issue in your life, it's solved right here. You come to the altar, especially when you're crying, and the, the, the music is just right, and even better, if you're in a camp meeting, there's a straw, you know, you're walking on the straw, you know, that's it. I had someone say to me one time who came to the point of salvation, I'm leading the Lord, just when I, in my pastoral ministry, and he said to me, I want to come to the Lord, but can I do it at camp meeting when I come, can I walk down the straw, you know? Because that, like, that's the time when that happens, you know? And, and you want a Christ's event. If you have an issue in your life or a problem or a bondage or a sin, and, and at some point you come down and you get prayed for and your problem is solved, like the lightning strike of God. Now, we all need lightning strikes from God. You need those moments when God moves in your life and does something, but you cannot confuse that with process where you work in a band, you're, you're put into a band, and you bind yourself with somebody, for example, and you work out, your, you go to a counselor. Uh, Toddy Holman, very... Uh, helpfully made a comment one time that many people in our church resist coming to counselors because I, oh, I know I should really, you know, this should really happen at the altar. I don't need any counseling. No, you, you might need counseling. Let me just say, I don't know if we have any counseling students, but praise God for our counseling students. I have probably haven't said that enough around here. 
I thank God for them because they can help people through a process to identify why certain things trigger inside of you, why things happen, why family systems break down. They get a lot of those things. Now, I don't want that to take the place of the altar, but you have to see that that's another kind of altar, isn't it? It's another way God does things. And so we need both of these work in our lives. Now, in our tradition, we think about, for example, Moses at the burning bush. Now, there we go. That's crisis. You know, Moses is there in the deserts of Midian. The, the God appears in the burning bush and speaks. Now, I want a burning bush experience. Okay, you, you ought to have one of those. We all want those. I'm looking for it all the time. Ready for a burning bush. But Moses also spent 40 years in the desert of Sinai being purged and prepared for his ministry. It's amazing. We don't talk about that. The Apostle Paul had a crisis event on the road to Damascus. How many of us have preached that sermon? We want that. I don't get knocked off my donkey or horse or whatever he was on. We never have figured that one out, but whatever he was on, he got knocked off of it. I want that too. I want to have Ananias coming down and laying hands on me to say the Holy Spirit. I want all of that, but we never talk about Paul spending three years in Arabia in the desert before he came back and began his apostolic ministry. You see, we have to understand that crisis and process are both important for good Christian maturity. We need that. You, many of you need that, but many of you are wanting one, we need the other, and others want the other, we need the one. And so we really need to think about these two together. Never confuse the road to Damascus with the deserts of Arabia or the burning bush with the deserts of Sinai. Jesus Christ had a crisis experience, if there ever was one, at the Jordan River where the Father himself speaks from the sky Thou art my beloved Son, in whom well pleased. And the Spirit himself descends upon him, but then he's sent out into the wilderness to be tempted and to be purged and changed and helped to get him prepared for what he needed. When I was a pastor, uh, my first pastorate was in a circuit, but one of the church was Loudsville United Methodist Church. And they, they were pretty loud. And they, um, they said to me when I arrived there, they said, Preacher? They called me Preacher. They never called me Tim. They never knew my name. I was just the Preacher. <laughs> preacher, we have a revival here every 3rd July every year. I, you have, God revives you every 3rd week of July? What they meant was they planned to have a revival every 3rd week of July. It was really interesting. And what's amazing, they had planned it and amazingly, occasionally, God met people and it happened. See, that's the thing. Well, the disciples, Peter and John, just to make sure you don't miss the point, when they have this encounter with Simon and all of that, I want time to go into it. When they returned to Jerusalem, and so they preached the gospel in many Samaritan villages as they returned. Here's the apostles preaching in Samaria. See, they... And themselves, and here are the very people that had walked with Jesus, been seen the resurrection, the ascension, even they are having their black and white turned to color. 
even they are seeing the gospel. They, their greatest hope was to circle the world that Jesus is the Messiah for the Jewish hopes and dreams and expectations. Now they're seeing, no, it's about all the peoples of the world. Jesus is Lord of the world, the desire of every nation. That's Advent. And they go back, I believe they go back themselves changed. That mere Christianity is actually this Christianity in the book of Acts. If we look around ourselves in our local churches, and we, we see that not much is happening with miracles and people are being transformed, don't go to the place that says, therefore it must not be happening anymore. Go to the place, there's something wrong with us. We need to adjust ourselves to be able to see and recognize that God might be doing something amazing if we prepare ourselves and receive it in his way, in his time. Thanks be to God.